Thank you to 12th Street Sound for sponsoring today's episode. If you're an artist and you want your next recordings to stand up to the best of the best, you need to learn more about 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in my home city, New Westminster, BC. 12th Street provides the value and bang for your buck that you can only get from a boutique studio. That's why I keep choosing Anthony Senarini at 12th Street Sound as my recording and mix engineer for my own music, released as William Chernoff. Anthony and the team are collectors and restoration specialists obsessed with music and recording equipment. When I go into the studio, I get more than just great service. I get the space to craft my story as an artist. You deserve the same as you work on your new music for 2022. Whether you need pre-production, tracking, mixing, or full production services, check out 12th Street Sound today and tell Anthony about your next project. Learn more at 12thstreet.ca. That's 12thst.ca. I've never advertised myself as someone who knows anything about live streaming, internet stuff. And then suddenly that was all I was being asked to do. Progress Lab put up a job posting for something called a digital technologist. And I was looking at it I was like, I'm so unqualified. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And then everyone was like, but you've been doing it. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. With Rhythm Changes, we're striving to make the best possible interview show about a music scene. So if you're joining us for the first time, whether from Vancouver, BC, elsewhere in Canada, or across the world, get involved today with a visit to our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Our guest today has diverse artistic interests, has been to many places, and does a wide range of creative work as a graduate of Studio 58 at Langara. Lighting design, theater production, stage management, and some performing too. Their first solo work is called Sleep Here Tonight, and a new play is on the way. But we also have plenty of music stuff to talk about too, I'm sure. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Andy Lloyd. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about a whole lot of stuff. I want to open up by acknowledging that you've been to the two provinces that, as I said previously on this podcast, when I talked to Valour from Saskatoon, I haven't been to, which is Saskatchewan and Newfoundland. You've been to both those places. Yes, yeah. I have. I always forget that I've been to Saskatchewan. Not that it was insignificant because it was actually awesome. But I went to Regina in 2019 for a tour, three performances of a show called Hinky Punk, which has brought me to more than three provinces now. I don't want to say six and be wrong. Touring with the same show and the same company? Same show, same company, same people. Oh, wow. Right up until St. John's. And I think that was, that's the last time we're going to do that show in its current form. And I think it'll probably need to turn into a personless installation, which makes more sense. It's a very resource heavy show. It requires four stage hands for like almost no reason. Wow. Also me and a computer that was getting very, very tired by the last run of the show. I was yeah. tired too, but like at least I could still do my job. Wow. Yeah. So I'm familiar with the different jobs that come into play in the music world to make something like an album, but I don't know very much about the ones in the theater and stage world. So Let's start here. What was your role in this show? Yeah. When you do interdisciplinary work, which often means it's kind of theater, maybe it's kind of dance, maybe it's kind of a visual art installation, maybe it's kind of an interactive media installation, maybe it's like a combination of all of those things, and then we call it a play or we call it a dance performance. 
what my job has been in the whole of my career is usually I'm part designer, part operator, part programmer, and any combination of those things. Also usually a technical director or some sort of production management role as well. For this show, Hinky Punk, which was my first show that I ever did out of school, I then premiered it with Club Push like a month later as an assistant. I started out just as that, and I was just an assistant. But when the show was asked to go on tour in the fall of 2019, we went to uh, Saskatchewan, we also went to Alberta, and then Northern BC. On that tour, I was the technical director meaning I was liaising with all of the venues. I was production managing because I was telling the dancer that's a solo piece. It's mostly a solo piece because um, there's a guest dancer in every city. <laughs> yeah, so there's like one featured performer who's traveling with you. Yeah. yeah. He will teach um, a guest dancer to perform this one section of the piece with him. We travel with everything. This, this piece is by Fake Knot, which is a company that is run by Ralph Escamillan, who's like a fabulous uh, artist in town. And he gives a lot of opportunities to a lot of different artists. And he is such a powerhouse writing grants and getting opportunities for people. When we went on that tour, yeah, I was, he did his part. He had to perform it. He had to deal with that guest dancer. He had to make sure that the design was good enough that it wouldn't be disorienting for him because he's four feet in the air on a four by four foot stage wearing a full blue sequined unitard with his eyes partially obscured. Wow. He likes a challenge. So do I. But there's also two projectors, six lights, and I run lights, sound and video off of one device. So <laughs> I can't really put a name on that. We call myself the live operator and also the technical director for that tour. Yeah. yeah. I think of you mostly working as a lighting designer. But yeah, you end up filling all these different roles at different times. So I've also known that you've done some sound design too, which is interesting crossover for me. But also that you've done some stage management as well. So this one show is an interesting example of how that all wraps together. Mm -hmm. And you came out of Studio 58, and I want to hear about the times you had there, but I've known you for a long time because we've grown up here in New West, and I know that one of the first places where you started getting interested in theater was at the Massey Theater at New Westminster Secondary School. So what do you still carry with you from there? Yeah, I mean... As you know, we went to a school with a lot of artistic opportunities. And so I spent the better part of my two senior years at like grade 11, 12 in, of high school in the theater, like missing so much class, spending all my time there working on everybody's things. So like everything from like the drama finals to the dance end of semester performance to whatever play someone was trying to produce or any rentals that the theater was doing. I loved being backstage. I loved being in charge. Later on, I realized I was a little bit interested in lighting design, which I don't even remember if I had an opportunity to do during my time there because I was mostly calling shows, stage managing, which is what I thought I was going to be doing. But as soon as I got into studio, I realized that like I was pretty good at stage management, so I still do it. But I realized in at, at studio that design was probably going to be more more up my alley and it's it's true so like this year i joined the associated designers of canada and it all makes sense i didn't join stage managers equity so you know so those are two separate unions yeah okay yeah yeah so adc associated designers of canada just became a union a part uh, an affiliation partner of iatsi the international alliance of theatrical stage employees which is like 
International. It covers theater and film workers. Yeah, so I just joined ADC. Yeah. Now, over the pandemic, you kind of had to get involved in live stream making because I would think that the kind of places you're working in with actors or theatrical productions or anything that's trying to present a performance, they realized that somebody on their team had to learn how to do that, how to broadcast what they were doing online. And I imagine that got stuck with you to some extent in a lot of the places you were working. So talk about the journey of learning how to do broadcasts and live streams over the last year or two. I think early pandemic, I just sat down one day, downloaded OBS and the new version of Skype and an NDI router and a couple other things. And, I was, and then I phoned up my friend who is a video game streamer and has an OnlyFans channel. So I was like, you know who knows how to do live stream and broadcast? This girl. So I phoned her up and I asked her to walk me through how she sets up a live stream for gaming. Because I know that has a lot of elements that would be useful in, in like broadcasted theater, like screen sharing and um, multiple cameras and all kinds of things like like live color grading, things like that. And she was able to walk me through so many little tips. I have a hard time following tutorials, something about my attention span. I don't like watching YouTube tutorials. I don't like reading manuals. I just want to download the program and have it work immediately. So if someone can talk me through it, I'm good. And once I learned how to do that, the first thing I did was like two months in, we were allowed to work in person, do some like live camera stuff. And I was like, why are you asking me? I'm a lighting designer and I worked in a new media collective. I do lighting and video and they are equal parts of my identity, but I've never advertised myself as someone who knows anything about like live streaming, internet stuff. And then suddenly that was all I was being asked to do. Lighting and live stream or video and live streaming. I eventually ended up doing so much of it that when Progress Lab 1422 or uh, Vancouver Creative Space Society put up a job posting for something called a digital technologist, everyone was sending me the job application. They were like, you need to apply for this. And I was looking at it like, I'm so unqualified. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And then everyone was like, but you've been doing it. And I was like, that's true. I know how to do some of these things, but I don't really know much about cameras or like sound at all i'm not good with sound i know how to capture a video meeting and turn send it to a live stream through like a virtual audio channel that's some people would say that's advanced it's just necessity for me i'm just like i have to know how to do this because I, I have to so i ended up asking my friend anthony lee who's a filmmaker uh, and at the time was a film student at sfu i asked if he would apply for the job with me so that you would do it together so that we would do it together so we wrote a proposal to progress lab to do job sharing and they offered us the position. Together. So, together. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So we got given a budget. We got to outfit the building with what they would need. And then I spent eight months sharing jobs with him for the eight companies, a few companies that run out of that space, helping them with all of their live stream needs. Now I consider myself like actually an expert in it. Yeah, because now you've been doing it for two years. Yeah. I like know how switchers work and I know... Very basic camera stuff. Like I can kind of set the exposure and stuff now. I don't really know the difference between the f-stops and the, the, <laughs> the exposure still. But and then I realized that like 
a lot of my political leanings were kind of seeping into that work. So when I was doing consulting sessions, I would people would say, yeah, we want to do this and this and then we'll do a Zoom reading and we'll do we'll we'll put it on Twitch. And I'm like feeling kind of like a little uneasy about these things because I don't really like Zoom. I think they're a big evil corporation. Twitch. Amazon. Owned by Amazon. It's kind of a big nasty corporation. So I started doing a lot more research into open source and like ethical in my in my mind platforms that people could use. Nice. So I don't use Zoom now whenever possible. I use Cisco WebEx Meet. I use Whereby. I use Jitsi Meet for like so much of my stuff. I use OBS, which everyone uses, but it's free. It's open source. And like, it's just so good. It's just so good. Yeah. And you use Isadora. Isadora is not open source. Okay. It's what I call small software. So it's run by a small company of people that are easy to reach. Uh, it's easy to get help from them on the forum. It's really simple to request changes and to request plugin updates. And if you're having a very specific issue, you can get like same day, same hour support. I pay just a monthly licensing fee, uh, but they also offer like licenses. When I was learning, I got a free license for two years just because someone who was mentoring me asked the company to give me one. And oh, they nice. were like, absolutely. So I just had a free license for two years. And so now I pay because I know exactly whose paychecks that money goes towards. I've met these people. I went to Berlin. They taught me workshops. I am more than happy to support them supporting my artistic practice. Instead of, you know, paying Zoom, paying Vimeo, the nine thousand trillion dollars they charge you a year for their for their um <laughs> i think it's over nine thousand <laughs> <laughs> um their obscene amount of money that they charge for um their streaming platform i just feel better <laughs> knowing i'm giving my money to those people so that's the same thing with like black hole which is that virtual audio writing thing i mentioned it's from mac you know, those are the places I would donate to because those people are making tools for me to do my job easier as opposed to Zoom where I, we can be requesting NDI integration. NDI is like a video um, transportation sort of framework. We can en masse ask Zoom to do that and they don't have to do that. They're not relying on artist income to keep their corporation going. They are relying on being able to sell their product in China and they're able to do that by being complacent and shutting down activist accounts. I don't want to use a product by a company that's willing to do that, that has no integrity, you know, because the things we use, the software that we use, the frameworks and programs that we give our money, our energy to, that, you know, we uh, consume the ads that they show, that is being complicit in all the wrong that they do in the world. I think artists like to think that they're doing a good thing for the world, I would expect that while they're trying to send out a good message or they're trying to push for change or they're trying to push for human rights, for freedoms, for marginalized people or for environmental uh, issues, that they would want to be using products, frameworks or systems that actually stand by their values as well. And it just doesn't make sense to me that just because everything's gone digital, that we've just given up all our integrity just because Zoom is easy to use. Yeah. This is about the mission of the artist. It's so fascinating and it's so relevant to the music industry too because there are many of these topics. We've talked a bunch about 
the technological side. And this is kind of a nice off-ramp to the more human side. Friends whom you love to support. And I've got two in mind who I've also known for a while, these fine people, that I want to ask you about because I know they're your long-time collaborators. And Howard Dye, I know you've worked with him on a lot of different things. He is an actor. He is a musical guy as well. And he's also a multidisciplinary artist, I would say. So talk about your long-term collaboration with Howard. Yeah, Howard Dye is a friend who I met when he moved to Canada. So like when I was in grade seven, we were like 13, 14 years old. We weren't friends for that whole time, but now we're extremely close. And we've worked together like all through high school. We would do like all the plays and stuff together. But then coming out of school, we had a few years of distance because we went to different uh, post-secondary. We would see each other. We would meet up. We would even just fly off to Asia together once in a while. (laughs) Now I find myself working on a lot of projects with him his own play i'm so happy for him called pineapple bun it's about his childhood in taiwan where he's from and he's invited me on board to do lighting and video which is like amazing (laughs) great through a company that we both adore that supports us both uh, called rice and beans theater co-founded by Derek chan and pedro tamale and they do a program called doublespeak which is dedicated to works that are in more than one language anything that deals with translation or bilingual work uh is eligible to be supported by this program so you can apply and they will give you a budget to do a workshop on your play it's not to support a final production or a a premiere by any means they will host a showing where you can perform one scene or you can just talk about the piece and get some feedback and there's really no framework but they give you some support to hire cast to hire designers to do an iteration of something which is an incredible resource for the community But Howard is taking advantage of that as a close collaborator with the company to put a face on his work that he's been he's been working on. But yeah, I'm so excited. Like I've never designed anything for him, only in proximity to him where he's the producer or he's like in some capacity involved in the project. So we usually end up side by side at some point. But yeah, and working at Progress Lab, Rice and Beans is one of the resident companies there. So I'm just with him all the time. It's pretty amazing. I've known him for a long time. And we see each other every day, basically. <laughs> That's so cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And then you and Howard and this next person I'm going to ask you about, you all appeared on a panel episode of the Arts and W podcast together in 2020, which was great fun. You talk about your travels in Taiwan and they talk about other related subjects. And I enjoyed listening to that. And it's produced by the Arts Council of New Westminster. So, of course, you got to shout them out. But Finn Leahy, this is another longtime <laughs> friend and collaborator. Finn likes to take pictures. He likes to make articles about Singaporean politics and post them on his website. And he also likes to just do concerts where he sings in four to five different languages. He's a pretty cool dude. He's one of the smartest people I know. And he's going to be a commercial pilot one day. So his art making days are limited. On top of all that. Yeah. Yeah, So like... Get on it if you want a piece of his art from his series, The Stray Cats of Southeast Asia, which I curated at Old Crow Coffee yes, <laughs> um, that's about right. a year ago, back when I was the curator there. I think I still am, but they haven't been really, I'm sure we'll be back on that soon. But he does great pictures, but he also loves to travel, just like me. Yeah. Um, and him and I, our main topics of conversation are Asian politics, where we exchange books about, like, I just bought one called The Digital Silk Road, which is like a lot of like Asia critical writings are done by 
kind of weird capitalistic white dudes who live in North America. So it's nice to be able to read educated people's uh, opinions on some things, but also know that I've been there and I know what things are like. And in Finn's case, he's actually been to China. He's actually been to more of Southeast Asia. I've only been to Korea and Taiwan. It's so hard to um, be critical of China in a way that is appropriate, but it's nice to have Finn as a friend who is, he's an artist and he's a person who I refer to when I talk about these things because my work is heavily political. And he also is a very multidisciplinary artist, no doubt. Yeah. And he has appeared in an iteration of my solo show where he came and sang a song with me on stage. And he's done that more than, more than once. Like I use him for, he did the sound design for my solo show. Like he did, um, original re-recordings of all of the Taipei Metro theme songs because in Asia they play music when the trains come in and every line is a different song. So he just re-recorded it all on his OP1. Like he's an extremely talented musician, a talented artist, a talented photographer, and super, super smart. Actually has like a degree in human geography, so he actually knows things. So like when I send him pictures of Toronto, he'll just like say, ew, (laughs) Boo, Toronto. (laughs) Ew, look at that highway. It has like 12 lanes. Why'd they do that? You know, it's good to have a smart friend (laughs) I can refer to for writing. Because the last thing I want is to be critical, but also ignorant about any of the things I want to discuss in my my work. Yeah. So speaking of writing, now back to you, because you are working on a play, right? Where are you at on that? What's in the works for your next solo project? Pre-pandemic, like February 2020, I was in a residency with my former company, as well as Jasmine Chen and Lai Ma and Derek Chan. We were doing this amazing piece about the two artists' connections to their parents' stories, which were super different. And Lai's father is an amazing, like, kung fu artist, and he does it, like, well into his old age to stay healthy. Jasmine Chen, her grandparents were heavily involved in the very very dramatic transfer of a lot of the Chinese nationalists from mainland China to Taiwan where a lot of them were being persecuted for being spies a very heavy political time that she was referencing in that work and there was a lot of singing in it and I thought wow this is like so effective so I came in one day and I was listening to some 1980s Taiwanese rock music that had come up on my Spotify I went up to Derek Chan and I was like, I think I want to make a show about karaoke, sing Chinese songs. So on that note alone, I know it's unique and I know that people might want to see it. And since then, pandemic happened. I had a lot of free time. So I decided to sit down and write a first draft. Where I'm at now is I have a show and it's called KTV, A Love Letter or A Love Letter to the Music of Taiwan and Hong Kong. Not sure which one I'm going for yet. I intend for it to be in English, Mandarin, and Cantonese. It was just going to be English and Mandarin because that's kind of my my OG uh, karaoke life. But since the pandemic, I've become super involved in activism related to Hong Kong democracy and independence. I've made a lot of new friends who are like incredible people. And music is such a huge part of their solidarity and activism and keeping hope up for them, especially in terms of music as it goes along with like language preservation and art just being a great avenue for resistance that's in the plan but every time i find a great new song i'm like that has to be in the show so at this point it's like eight hours long Um, (laughs) i don't know what to do (laughs) um so it's gonna be a combo of me talking about 
travel stories, kind of like my first show, but also just me being kind of a breakdown on my part because I don't have an identity outside of this. I'm kind of just hyping up this character that doesn't really understand her origins or like what her culture is supposed to be. So she kind of just takes from another person's culture or from the culture that this music has taught them. So that's kind of where it is right now. I've gotten, I've been through two little writing workshops with it, but I'm kind of stuck right now. (laughs) Wow. That's so cool. I can't wait to see the results of that in 2022. A nice place to close out because you brought us there is just being a fan of the music of Taiwan and Hong Kong. Just do a quick survey and shout out some of the artists or the memories over the last few years that have been part of you getting to know that kind of music because we are a music show and I'm really curious to hear about it. Yeah. Howard Dye, who we mentioned earlier, when I first got my car, he gave me some burnt CDs from his childhood. The two albums he gave me are uh, Seven Days by Crowd Lou and then um, a Mayday album, an album by Mayday, Wu Yetian, and then the other artist Crowd Lou is Lu Guangzong. And... They're both Taiwanese superstars. Lu Guangzong is more of like an acoustic sort of like dreamboat singer-songwriter. And Mayday is like a rock band. And they are like my go-tos today. I was introduced to that music when I was about 15 or 16 years old. And it's I still listen to that music daily. Like it is very much in my life. And every day I discover more music by those artists that I love. Those artists are super influential they're like of the time of my generation. If I had been born and grown up there, that would have been the music I grew up with. So I ended up growing up with it in a different way a little bit later because I had a friend who knew I was interested. Mayday is such an important band in Taiwan that they are the people who do the New Year's concert. The I New saw Year's you post concert about that today. Every year uh, in this huge baseball stadium in Kaohsiung. They are trusted with like that because they are so important and their music is like, their story is incredible. In Taiwan, they have forced uh, conscription until they've, they've gotten rid of that. They're, they've slowly phased it out. It's no longer a thing. If you're born now and raised in Taiwan, you're good. You don't have to do it. But a lot of my friends would, are still being forced to do the four, four months after post-secondary. When Mayday was a band in college, they were like, cool, when we go to the military, we're not going to be a band anymore like we're just gonna this we're just gonna go have careers so they did a concert and they had quite a bit of fans they were just like a college boys band kind of uh independent and they did a concert and they played every single song that they had written and the audience wouldn't leave (laughs) and (laughs) and then they at the time in taiwan after a certain time the electricity would go out so everyone had flashlights and lighters and they just like shined their own lights on the stage and they made it work. And they just played all the songs again. And then they went off to the military, they did their service. And when they came back, they were kind of like, hmm, <laughs> maybe we should still be a band. Um, and now they're still performing to this day. They've been around since 1996. And they all still look like they're the same age because <laughs> they're just <laughs> so beautiful. And that, and then like, there are so many amazing artists like Wu Bai, who's like also known as China Blue, is like the founder of rock and roll in um, in Taiwan. Taiwan has like a history of martial law, a lot of censorship, because when the Chinese nationalists came over, the Kuomintang came over from the Chinese mainland after the Communist Party took over. There was a lot of censorship, a lot of policing that was done to the youth to make sure they weren't 
trying to become communists. And a lot of like rock and roll and stuff that came from the United States and the anti-war movement was seen as like a little bit too like free thinking, too communist, too in alignment with the Communist Party. So they would censor it. They had radio censors. They had people making sure uh, males uh, had short haircuts. They weren't allowed to grow their hair long. And uh, Wu Bai played like some like heavy, beautiful David Bowie style music and also just like anything you can think of. Also like dance hits. But he also kind of refused to perform in China. And that's something that people don't talk about a lot because he is like musicians and people who are pretty defiant like that have political ideals and they uh, need to have integrity to keep that image up. So I love him. I respect him a lot for that. And he's still around. He still doesn't perform in China. <laughs> And then in Hong Kong, it's a lot harder. You kind of have to sell out if you don't want to actually be disappeared and killed. So unfortunately, amazing artists like Eason Chan, Andy Lau, uh, have openly said that they support the Beijing government, stuff like that. So a lot of people who uh, are huge supporters of Hong Kong independence and democracy don't listen to them anymore, even though those artists like probably do support uh, sovereignty for Hong Kong. But those are amazing artists like... And it's so funny, Hong Kong, mostly the singers are also actors, so you'll see them in great movies. Like, Tony Leung is actually, like, he's not a singer, and he's one. Of, he's just one of the few who's, like, an incredible actor. You may have seen him in Shang-Chi. He's a legend. Uh, he's amazing, does a lot of amazing acting. But I'm just, like, really in on that now, because it's such an artistic goldmine. <laughs> Those two places that are, like, so oppressed, um, so much beautiful stuff comes out of those places. Yeah, music that's in Cantonese, just gorgeous. And then Taiwanese language music as well. A lot of these artists like Lu Guangzong and Mayday go between those two languages, Taiwanese local language and Mandarin. Well, that was awesome. Every time I get the chance to catch up with you, I'm so impressed by all the stuff that you're out there learning and doing. So it's so <laughs> cool for me to hear about it. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the show yet, make sure you do and tell your friends who might enjoy listening too. Link them to our website, rhythmchanges.ca, Facebook at Chernoff Music, or Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm Changes BC. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production. See show notes for full production credits. Copyright 2022, Chernoff Music. <laughs>